Your favorites are probably our second most expensive. <laughs> they are such divas. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the podcast that is yet again heading to one of our favorite zoos, Buttonwood Park Zoo, the Rasafari Podcast. So, um, all right, last week we, we had a very interesting and very unique interview with Leif Cox, and it was something kind of, you know, a little different than what we normally do. And next week, I'm going to have another episode that's also a little different than what we normally do, but in a in a very cool way as well. But in between the two, I wanted to make sure that I got you some good old-fashioned zoo episode-ness. And so today, I am going to bring you another one of the interviews that I did at Buttonwood Park Zoo. Uh, you know, now famous for me drumming with elephants and also the red panda painting with brushes stuff that I've shown you and uh, all that good stuff. And uh, this episode is a relatively short interview because I got to interview the new director of the zoo, Gary Lunsford. And Gary is awesome, just a wonderful person to talk to. Uh, and it was really exciting for me because I've talked to zoo directors before. Y'all have heard that. But this was my first opportunity to talk to someone who really was just taking over the position and still getting situated. And, and we spend a lot of time talking about that and what that's like. You're also going to hear from Sarah Henry again, who is the uh, wonderful person who set up all these interviews for me and and came along on all of them. Uh, and, and she actually dives into some really cool answers on this uh, episode, which I really appreciate. So it's not the longest of the interview episodes, but it is certainly chock full of goodness. And don't worry, I know that sometimes when we get into the administrative side of things, we don't always end up talking about animals a lot, but I promise you, Gary and I spend a lot of time talking about animals, including uh, one of the, well, let's just say I I use a term to describe a, a Mata Mata turtle in here that uh, that creates a little bit of controversy, but always, of course, in a very fun way. Um, I think y'all will enjoy it. So yeah, I'm excited to bring that to you. But first, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, remember to hit subscribe. Also, I haven't pleaded for this for a moment, but on whatever app you are listening on, if you are able to leave a five-star rating for the podcast, it really helps people find the show. Uh, you know, our lives are largely dictated by algorithms now, so every single rating that the show gets does help it show up in uh, more people's suggestions feed and such like that. Such like that. That's not what I meant to say. I meant to say stuff like that, but hey, we we roll in here. So, you know, whatever. Um, I actually, I, I kind of cut the front of my tongue today. So literally every word that I'm saying right now doesn't hurt, but it just feels weird. Uh, I didn't know you could cut your tongue on a bagel. I guess actually what happened is I cut my... Um, 
kind of the the backside of my gums and it exposed a little bit of tooth which is now rubbing up on my tongue and causing discomfort is this too much information i i, I can never tell i can never tell uh, but that that's what's happening so right now doing this intro is very weird uh, but i'm gonna leave all that in because i'm a goober anyway five star ratings are really helpful to the podcast and if you could take even just a couple of seconds and write a positive review that that helps even more with the way the algorithm works. Maybe maybe don't mention the, the whole tongue thing in the review if you choose to write one. but Or do. Whatever. Whatever. As long as it's five stars, you can say whatever you want. But also, maybe don't do that. Anyway, also make sure you're following along uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, at Raw Safari, TikTok, at Raw Safari Pod, going to the website, rawsafari.com. If you are looking for cool holiday gifts right now, uh, we have Raw Safari swag, including... Um, shirts and sweatshirts and stuff that not only have the the one Raw Safari logo on it, but uh, also a series that, that says, what's your poop story? So, uh, you know, things worth checking out. Uh, and I guess that's really it. I've, I've told you way too much about things you need to do and, and way too much about my tongue. So uh, without further ado, here is my interview with Gary Lunsford featuring Sarah Henry both of the Buttonwood Park Zoo. So, why don't we start off by you telling me who you are and uh, what you do here at Buttonwood Park Zoo. I'm Gary Lunsford. I'm the new director of zoological services for Buttonwood Park Zoo. All right. Been so here all of about two months now. I was just going to say, you said new. So, um... Welcome. Thank you. Uh, where where did you come from? What was your, and I don't just mean your last zoo, like what was your history? How do you become the director of a zoo? Well, that's a long story. I actually uh, moved to the New England area from Milwaukee at the Milwaukee County Zoo. Nice. I was there for several years uh, as the director of animal management and health, uh, prior to which I was actually in Winnipeg at the Assiniboine Park Conservancy as multiple positions there from general curator to director of zoological operations to senior director of animal care and conservation. Prior to which I was actually at the Tulsa Zoo where again I served a number of roles as a curator, supervisor, registrar, education curator. I love the Tulsa Zoo. Beautiful I've been there place. a few times. It's really great. I haven't, I, yeah, that's, that's really cool. Very it's a beautiful cool. place. Uh, Do they have red pandas? Mm, they do. They have two there right now. Yes. yes. <laughs> Fairly new. They didn't have them when I left the Tulsa Zoo. So they actually do a cool thing where they have a, an exhibit that they split half time, uh, half of the year it's Binturong and half the year it's Red Panda because they have similar needs but different um, weather requirements. Very clever. Yeah. Yeah. I have seen the new facilities. They're pretty spectacular and, and, uh, I like what they're doing with the elephant expansion as well. So excited yeah. about that. Very cool. But we don't need to talk of other zoos. <laughs> We're here to talk about yours. So um, how's it been being here so far? Oh, I love the area. It's a beautiful zoo, very well supported by the community, beautiful area, uh, close to, you know, close to the water, great seafood, <laughs> uh, uh, much better than in the Midwest. Fair, fair. Yeah, sometimes I'm... Lobster. <laughs> Sometimes I'm on tour and I'm like, let's go get sushi. And everyone's like, John, 
we're in uh, Iowa right now. I'm like, oh, right. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. That's good. That's very cool. Yes. Really enjoying the city and the, uh, it's just, it's just a beautiful area. It, it really is. Very comfortable. Good. Um, so when you become the director of a zoo, you have to bring your own vision to that zoo while also making sure that you honor the vision that, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there is a multi-year plan already in place and everything. Um, and you're the, I've, I've talked to directors, but you're the first new director I've gotten to interview. <laughs> so tell me what that process is like and how it feels like integrating into an organization kind of at the top. I mean, I know there's like a board of directors and stuff, but like, you know, tell me about that. Well, I'm, yes, you're absolutely right. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting experience to navigate. They've done a lot of work on the uh, master plan. It's a good master plan, you know, very well thought through. And like I said, they've, they've put a lot of hard work into it. So it's taking that, seeing what I feel from my experience is uh, still a good fit for the zoo or, or what I feel might need to be adjusted but also just getting to know the people. That's uh, the most important part, getting to know my team, getting to know the, the city and uh, the local stakeholders, the society, and uh, to determine what's really the best, how the Buttonwood Park Zoo can best serve the community, as well as serving our conservation efforts and the zoo mission. So yeah, just taking in information, still absorbing and learning and, and uh, determining what's what our dynamics are here, where we can specialize, and what our real uh, niche is that we can provide the zoo community and the local community. Very cool. Very cool. And how connected is Buttonwood Park Zoo to the community? Like, what kind of connections do you make other than, like, we have animals, come see them? Oh, the, the local community is very vested in the... Uh, animals here, particularly the elephants. They're a, a fan favorite that are very supported by the local community. But it's just been a fascinating experience because everybody in the, the community has a story about the Buttonwood Park Zoo. They're very supportive, very involved. And uh, it's just really great to see that kind of support locally for the institution. And um so, yeah, it's just uh, keeping that connection fresh and live and something interesting to, to uh, keep the community engaged and wanting to uh, protect and conserve animals and their counterparts in the wild. Very cool. Uh, I'm, I'm curious. New England is, um, you know, a pretty tight, compacted zoo community. There's there's. Y'all, there's Roger Williams, there's um, Franklin Park Zoo, Stone Zoo, all within, I, I, you know, 100 miles of each other. I think maybe Capron or Capron Park is is in that circle it as is, well. And even though they're not AZA, there's AA, but Southwick's is also close. Um, do you find that, is there a, like, community uh, amongst the zoos, uh, the facilities in this area? Or is it kind of every man for himself? Are y'all fighting for the same guests or is it collaborative? How does all that work? Well, I mean, there is some competition considering we're the best of them all. I mean, clearly I'm here today. I'm just saying. I could have been <laughs> anywhere and I'm here. So. No, uh, the zoo community is a very tight knit community, particularly the AZA community in itself. I mean, um, 
the camaraderie, particularly, I mean, a perfect example is the recent, you know, hurricane down south. And just to see how the community comes together to support those facilities that are in need from the local destruction that's happened recently, is, it's really inspiring. And, and it's, it's great to be part of such a, a, a close community. And so, yes, of course, we're, we're partners with our local facilities. And I've, uh, since I've been here, I've been working on a, as well as getting to know our local community, I've been making my way around to the local zoos to meet with the teams there and get to know the directors that I don't already, <laughs> that aren't already friends. Right, right. <laughs> that does, it's a small community. It um, is. It I, is I just attended my first ever AZA conference. Ah, and excellent. it was magical. And yeah, the connections that you make and, and the way that that stuff builds is really cool. Yes, it's a lot of really great people. And, and some of them I've known for for many years and have worked with in previous institutions and others that still just getting to know the neighbors while I'm in town. And so, yeah, I've spent some time at Roger Williams Park and uh, Franklin Park and the uh, New England Aquarium and and uh, just trying to get out there and meet the neighbors, let them, let them know I'm here and here to support. Now, did you do the proper thing when you went to New England Aquarium and pay homage to Myrtle, the, the queen of the aquarium, the sea turtle there? Because, you know, that's very important. If you haven't done that yet, you need to do that. I, I guess I'm going to have to make a second trip <laughs> She out. is the queen of the aquarium. It's it's very important. <laughs> I did take a lot of pictures of her. I, good, I good, was good. not aware of the, uh, of the process yes. of the ceremonial part of it. One must take one. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I just love Myrtle so much. I have to talk about Myrtle any chance I get. But um, I guess we could focus on the animals here instead. Um, so you mentioned that y'all have elephants. We do. And um, I, you know, I know that right now the AZA is really focused on elephant welfare and making things really good. Um, and there have been some discussions that maybe small zoos shouldn't have elephants. But I have been here. I have seen how well the elephants are taken care of. But I would love your input on that and what you think about that and what your responsibility is to that species as opposed to something like red pandas that are amazing but also like pretty easy to take care of. <laughs> Well, the like I said, the the elephants are iconic for the Buttonwood Park Zoo. They're they're a favorite for the local community, and and they've been with us for decades. You know, they are they are under our care and stewardship and our responsibility, and and so yeah, we give them all we have. We give them the best, and they're very well cared for. And it's it's. Uh, it was surprising to me on my first visit here because the size of our organization, you know, eight acre uh, footprint for the zoo, but the elephant habitat for a zoo this size is is very nice. It really it's, is. Uh, it's an impressive habitat. The team is spectacular and they, they get the best of care and we will continue to provide them for the best of care for as long as they're with us. That's awesome because I will I will tell you, I you're absolutely correct that you know i i came here the first time um i just was like zoo when i was in the area and i was like cool there is one and it's aza i can go and um you know oh and there are red pandas amazing and then i i i turned a corner and there were elephants and i was like interesting and i have faith and i trust in the aza and everything but it's definitely a thing where i i need to feel like i need to look i need to see you know 
quality of life of elephants to feel okay about them in a facility. And I definitely did. And, and that is really cool because, um, yeah, I, you know, some zoos, like, I really appreciate. Buffalo Zoo recently moved away from having elephants. And they should have. The habitat was not the right size. It was nothing near what y'all have here. Um, and I really appreciated them doing that. I thought that was good. So I think I think it needs to be, if you're going to commit to elephants, you need to commit to elephants. And y'all clearly Absolutely. do that here. Are they your most expensive animal? They are. As, actually, funnier. uh your favorites are probably our second most expensive. <laughs> they are such divas. <laughs> they, they really are. Uh, people don't, they're such a small animal. People don't really think about that. But feeding red pandas is, is quite often one of the more expensive animals to feed in a zoo. <laughs> they, they're, they're picky that way. They like the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, they do. And I know it can't be wilted at all with the bamboo. And they're <laughs> such divas. I love it. Um, so what's, what's the vision? Tell me, tell me what's coming. What are you thinking? Well, we're going to stick largely to the current master plan moving forward. I see that, um, personally coming on board in a new institution. To me, it's less about specifics or about species as it is the health of the organization, you know, financial health, cultural health, the zoo's identity within the zoo community, within the local community, as well as our conservation efforts and conservation action and building partnerships, you know, to, to meet our mission for uh, preserving the future of wildlife. So that's more what I focus on is those qualities of the zoo, as opposed to something specific. You know, I have a background with polar bears, not going to come in here and turn it into the Buttonwood Park polar bear habitat. I as awesome as that would be, I mean, you know, we want to do what's best for the community and what, again, what we have the resources to provide for. And so that's, that's more my focus is health, identity, conservation. We'll take what we have. And again, we'll mold it a little bit as we look and get feedback from the team and, and from the community on what's, what's the right fit. Our big focus right now is pushing forward with a, with a COVID delayed, long overdue renovation to some ambassador animal facilities. Okay. Which I'm sure you'll hear a little bit more about that's, that's today. Our next interview. Mm-hmm. So I won't go too much into that other than that's our, that's our number one project that we're pushing forward with. The, we were, the city has been very generous with providing us some capital improvement funds for that. So pushing forward with that to expand our ambassador animal programs, again, focusing on that mission of preserving the future of wildlife uh, through our educational programs. Okay, very cool. Now, we have a rule on this podcast, which is that you're not allowed to tell me the lie that everybody tells, <laughs> which is that you don't have a favorite animal or favorite animal. <laughs> so, enough of that BS. Who are your favorites here? Oh, goodness. <laughs> I My background started in aquatics, so okay. I'm a big water guy. Again, everything from... Uh, Corals, fish. I was a, a bit of a turtle neck growing up. Nice. That's that is of, actually what got me into animals. That's, so that's, that's what cool. led me to the zoo community nice. eventually. And um, so, yeah, I, I'm 
very partial to the Matamata turtles. Yes. One of my favorites. Okay, can you explain to me scientifically why they always look stoned? Because let's just be honest, they look very happy and they kind of look <laughs> like that kind of spaced out happy. I, I never really thought of it from that perspective. <laughs> I, I'm a professional musician. Of course I thought about it from that perspective. <laughs> but they, it, it is interesting that you say that. They are, they are a very sedentary turtle. They're ambush predators, so... Uh, but they do, yeah, they have their camouflage. They're adapted to living on the the bottom, bottom dwelling, you know, in leaf litter where they're camouflaged and, and uh, again, ambushing uh, fish as they go by. And, but yeah, they do have that very characteristic twist of their jaw that makes it look like they're always smiling. Always. And the tiny eyes that, <laughs> I get where you're coming from. <laughs> I don't think I will reuse that comparison, but I get where you're coming from. But yes, they're again, they've always been one of my favorite turtles. Uh, otter fan as well. I've worked with I worked with otters for a while at the Tulsa Zoo nice. uh, back in the day. So big fan of them. But we also have uh, a beautiful coral uh, collection here that uh, that they do a really excellent job taking care of for again for a institution this size the aquatics are are very nice very nicely done beautiful corals so i I can appreciate that Uh, and and i could go on i've always been a big fan of red pandas myself i understand your appreciation of uh, uh glad glad that we have them here they're just a perfect species for just the beauty the charisma and you know, perfectly adapted for some of these northern climates. Yes, so glad yes. to have those on. Board. And what a great exhibit, by the way. If I can just, you know, I didn't say this in there because we were blathering on about other things. But um, it, the exhibit itself is fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Very cool. Very well done. I think, I think it is hard to nail a panda habitat sometimes. Um, but y'all really did. Thank you. Yeah. Glad to hear. Yeah, that's, well, okay. I'm, I'm just, I'm always appreciative when people can tell me their favorites. Because, again, <laughs> I know there's that whole, oh, we don't have favorites. But it's a lie. <laughs> Everyone has favorites. Fair enough. <laughs> and, 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 again, you don't have to use the stoner turtle philosophy. But if, <laughs> if you ever want to use that, just, you don't have to credit me, that's yours. Okay. There's nothing better than sitting in front of, like, you know, some elementary school kids and being like, all right, now. <laughs> <laughs> I kid, I kid. I want the community to still like you, so we won't we won't do that. But um cool. So let me ask you something. If you're a member of the community here and you want to get involved with the zoo, but you don't have like a biology background, what can you do? That's a good question. We uh if interested in animals, we do have a great volunteer animal care program. Uh, that's very well attended. We have we just brought in a new group of volunteers for the season, so meeting a lot of new faces. Um, but yeah, it's a really great program. Getting involved in some of our education programs from uh, from a visitor side, or um, gosh, I'm, I'll, I'll I'll jump in. Thank you. I know you didn't. You're not asking me these questions, but. Um... But Gary's right. We do have an extremely robust volunteer program, So, um, and they assist with the animal care. But in addition to those animal care volunteers, we also use utilize a ton of community volunteers for all of our special events. 
So the hallmark of the Buttwood Park Zoo from our from an event standpoint is our annual Boo at the Zoo event. So 21 years, this will be our 21st year. It started as a sort of a one-day fall festival. It morphed into this sort of scary evening event. And thanks to our friend Triple E, um, Eastern Equine Encephalitis in 2019, we had to um, move the model into a daytime sort of fall festival Halloween um, event. And it's now a multi-day, multi-weekend, hundreds and hundreds of volunteer event. It, it, we couldn't, we literally could not do the event without um, the students from UMass Dartmouth that come in, the kids from Tabor Academy, the corporations that send groups of volunteers from setup to tear down to making decorations to helping with enrichment to literally handing out candy at the event. So there's actually a ton of ways that just the just a layman, so to speak, like myself, um, from the animal world can get involved in, in the Buttonwood Park Zoo. So you know, certainly you can come to the events, but we also need so much help in preparing, in preparing, excuse me, for um, any single event that we do. Blue the Zoo being one of our biggest ones, but we do events all year long in the Negation community. Very cool. Thank you, Sarah. You're welcome. <laughs> she does her job well. <laughs> <laughs> and well, and you know, I'm a little curious then. Why why are those types of things important? So I tend to come, and I, I'm learning to get past this, but I tend to come from the perspective of the animals are all that matters. Conservation messaging is all that matters, along with the like messages of the animals here. And, um, you know, I used to, I literally used to take a, a belief when I first got into conservation of like, screw local communities. It's all about the animals and you cannot do that. And I have learned, I know. Yeah. I saw your face go like, oh my gosh, John. but, but no, no, we have to help you. I get that. But how does boo at the zoo or any of that other kind of stuff help the mission of the zoo. So I, I think that, um, and I'll, I'll, like, I'll let Gary think about this and then come back and join us in a minute, but I think that that engaging the community through events, yes, of course, animal care is paramount. The animals being here and should be enough to inspire the community. But the, at the end of the day, um, you know, sometimes people just need a little bit more reason to come. Okay, I'm going, what am I getting out of it, right? So something like Boo at the Zoo, they're coming for trick-or-treating. And what they're doing while they're here is they're seeing the animals engage in Halloween-themed enrichment, and they watch an elephant drum, or they see a red panda, you know, painting or, you know, eating out of a really cute treat bag, and all of a sudden, they do care about the animals. Maybe they thought they were only coming here to go trick-or-treating, and then they see how the staff is engaging, they see how the community is engaging, and suddenly, they care about those animals. Now they want to know more about red pandas. So now they look up your podcast and they're like, oh, she's really good at this. (laughs) (laughs) Here's a great place for me to learn about red pandas and let's learn more about their thumbs. And wait a minute. They're, you know, they're an endangered species. There is a reason that they're here at this zoo. And there's a reason that we should learn, you know, we should learn about them. And then they take it to their school and then their teacher says, you know, oh, you really, you really learned a lot, you know, at Boo at the Zoo. We should take a field trip. And now the schools are coming here and they're engaging with our education team and they're learning about, you know, um, all of a sudden they're learning about conservation and they're learning about, you know, ocean temperatures and why they're fluctuating. And it's just so it seems like we should only care about the animals, but really all of the ways that we engage with the community brings it back to helping people realize why we're important. And that's exactly right. It's all about engaging the community and developing empathy for the animals. And events such as Boo at the Zoo will bring people to the zoo to have that experience that may not come on a regular basis. So so that's where these events come in uh, to help engage with the community. It gives them a reason to want to be here. And then, and then they realize what's next. 
See that? You can just use his answer if you'd like. You no, no, no. Play. All of that was brilliant, and I loved it, and it was great. No, this is this is exact. I love having these real conversations. I love, you know, no, and I think I think that's really. Sometimes I ask questions for myself almost because, like, I need a reminder of that. Because to me, it sounds dumb to say that a red panda isn't reason enough to come or elephant. <laughs> there are elephants. We are in Massachusetts and there are elephants. How is that not reason enough? But honestly, it's not to some people. And so, I, I you know, if it takes candy to get someone into conservation, I'm here for it. I just, I think sometimes it's good for my listeners. And, and like I said, honestly, for me to be reminded of that fact, I'm doing Project Dragonfly right now, which is a master's program in, in bio. I'm sure you both, you're both nodding. Yes. And so, okay. And so I, I have found that even spending more than two years now doing this podcast, volunteering for Red Panda Network, which by the way, you want to talk about community-based conservation. They are like, it's amazing, you know, that they've, installed stoves in people's houses in Nepal to help not burn because they were causing so many forest fires. That's conservation on a level that I've never thought about, you know? And I understand all of this logically. And then when I start to write my responses to things, I will leave out humans entirely until I realize that I'm doing it and and like, oh yeah, the stakeholders actually matter, you know? This has been my hard learning curve in doing this. So it's always nice to have that reminder. <laughs> and when we talk to the education director, she'll she, you know, she'll tell you this too. There's a reason that you don't begin teaching the the actual word conservation until like fourth grade. You know, children are just not able to to gauge the concept of what that means and how they're connected. Right. You know, so you you know, if you I'm gonna give a personal story, but for example, you know, I have an eight-year-old. Oh, me too. I've been here. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. They should be friends. Um and so I have an eight-year-old, and she um, has been involved in the zoo for the last you know, about three and a half years since I started working here. And um, she's terrified of animals. Terrified. You put a house cat in front of her, she cringes. She hears a dog bark, and she cries. She is absolutely terrified of animals. And one of the things that the education programs have done for her here at the zoo is teach her that animals are not scary. They are not going to hurt her. And she can engage with them, you know, through a painting class. She'll go, and she'll stand near um, the, you know, Odin the opossum, who is smaller than our house cat, and she can be in closer proximity to that wild animal than she can be to the cat that shares a room with her. <laughs> she literally, we walk into the, the room and she's like, can you get Rocky, our cat, off the couch so I can sit down? She can't share a physical space with that animal, but she can, you know, feed the elephants or visit the red pandas, and she's not afraid of that. So that's amazing. That's no, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's really, really cool. I love personal stories like that. That's wonderful. Very cool. She held a snake this weekend. It was a big deal. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, so I cool. did send a picture to our old education director and she's like, she's come very far. I, on the other hand, did not hold the snake. She wasn't so impressed with me. I haven't come far enough, but at least my eight year old has crossed that threshold. Early on in the podcast, I, I have, I love all animals. But I have been afraid of spiders my whole life. Mm. And I trained myself to get over it. And I worked up, you know, with like house spiders and such. And um, actually, October two years ago now, I did an episode where with the mics open, I held a tarantula for the first time. And I was fine. I actually loved the experience. But it's it does go to show that you can really grow in that way. You know, it's very cool. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I have a tradition on the podcast. It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show. But there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, oh no. 
It's time for the Rossifari poop story. The gross story. And and you have to remember, this is for the average listening public, not for somebody who has lived with animals <laughs> their whole life and is like, nothing is gross. <laughs> I I tell you what, there's one that comes to my mind that just trumps everything else because uh, such a beautiful animal. Um, and, and this, I, I think of my experience at the Tulsa Zoo. <laughs> the flam- flamingos. We had a beautiful flock of flamingos, spectacular animals. And they're some of the, they smell absolutely horrible. <laughs> it is one of the worst smells <laughs> that I have experienced in the zoo field <laughs> that was just difficult to even be around them in the mornings. And I apologize to all of my bird friends out there. But yes, that was about the most grotesque odor that I've experienced <laughs> in the, the zoo world. Fair, fair. That's really funny. You wouldn't think of flamingos as being the problem. You wouldn't think so. And often they're outdoors, so you don't really catch that. But when they're cooped up indoors overnight or during the cold months, it's bad. I was going to say, I've actually fed flamingos and I've not noticed that. But again, outside, spaced (laughs) out, you know, not pooping on me. So, yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. All right, cool. Is there anything else that you wanted to say about uh, the zoo or, or conservation or just anything? Oh, well, we're still working. We're still working it out, working out the plan for moving forward. And, and uh, you know, lots changed over the last few years with <laughs> COVID, director transition, you know, getting back to life as normal for everybody. So, yeah, we're still working that out and how we're going to move forward with our conservation programs, with a new identity, a new team, you know, want to see more local conservation as well as more global conservation. But how that's going to how that's going to look for the zoo moving forward is is big focus. It's unfortunate that you're missing our conservation director today. Oh, I'm coming back. We've, we've already talked. I'm Excellent. coming back. Yeah. He's going to come back and drum with the elephants. Yeah, because there's so much going on here in New England just with local wildlife and turtle rescue and. Uh, I'm, again, being a big turtle fan, I'd really like to see us get more involved with the Northern Diamondback Terrapins. Yes. One of my absolute favorites. Yes, they're so good. So there's such great local conservation that we can be involved in and still maintain our global ties through Red Panda Network and and uh, so on. Our, you know, now that we're specializing in small, you know, South American primates, that's another great opportunity for us to branch out and and uh, and uh, direct conservation efforts in the wild. Mm-hmm. So and y'all we'll just got Panamanian golden frogs. Yes, yes. Hello, I mean that is that is such an important conservation effort going on down there. And um, I Absolutely. think, you know, yeah, that is, I was so excited. It was actually in a recent Zoo News episode. I had to put in that y'all got golden frogs because that is important. Yeah. They are, that story needs to be shared. So yeah, we have a lot of opportunity to expand those connections and really branch out and, and be a force for conservation in the area. And, Absolutely. And looking forward to that. One quick question about that, if you don't mind. Um, so being a smaller facility, uh, I know that a lot of times you'll you'll end up, or well, other smaller facilities I've talked to end up partnering 
with places um, to do kind of local conservation together. Um, and I've interviewed Lou Parati at Roger Williams Park Zoo. And the, the conservation work that he does and leads is incredible. Is that something where you might end up partnering with them on stuff? Or do you want to do your own efforts or a little of column A and a little of column B? And oh. I just love Lou mostly. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I would love to partner with our, our local, like our neighbors, our zoo neighbors. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it'd be great to have some of our uh, our own projects, but really, you know, conservation projects are successful because they are partnerships with multiple organizations. You know, we want to partner with our zoo neighbors. Yes, we also want to partner with our with our local conservation uh, organizations like Mass Audubon and and uh, you know the wildlife department and just. We want to be involved with anybody who has shared uh, shared mission and values that we can get involved with and strengthen those programs, as well as developing some new stuff of our own. Right. So, yes, very much want to uh, connect with uh, with the local zoos and and uh, conservation constituents. Very cool. Well, thank you for taking the time to do this. I appreciate it. It's good to meet you. Thank nice you for coming by. All right, there you have it. And as always, you can check out the show notes to see all of the various social medias and uh, website and such of Buttonwood Park Zoo. I would like to say thank you to Laura Shank, my Red Panda level patron, and absolutely not say thank you to my tongue, which is still being weird as I record all of this. Yep, I know, 30-some minutes later and you're still hearing about the tongue. This is the quality content that you come here for, I'm just saying. Also, don't forget that you can support the podcast, including possibly my medical bills for my tongue, should it come to that, by going to patreon.com slash rossafari. Uh, for as little as $3 a month, you can support the pod and get some bonus content and such uh, from some of the episodes. I'm actually really excited. Uh, I just recorded a really cool interview that's going to have some pretty, pretty fun patron-exclusive content coming out so i'm excited to have that for all of my patrons and uh last but not least i'm going to say this remember friends even if your tongue feels weird the word credits backwards is Steiderk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.